Hi, I'm Jerry Grant, and this is a series of programs we're calling Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark, the voice of the University of Delaware. I'll be interviewing some of my fellow VUD jocks to find out what path they took to arrive here at the radio station. We'll talk about their earliest experiences with music and radio and how those experiences inform their own show currently on WVUD. Today's guest is Mark Taylor, the host of the Map of the World music program on Monday evenings. Mark's also been one of the hosts on the Roots program during the week. Mark, how you doing? Great, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate sure, it. Sure, sure. Thanks for coming down. Why don't you uh, tell us about uh, your present program? Map of the World. Right. A uh, little bit of history here. Uh, Map of the World was started by Bill Naylor in 1991 and grew out of a global beat show, which the station then had on, I believe, Sunday evenings. But after Bill... Longtime listeners may also remember Carol Nichols, who took it over from Bill and who I also believe guested on his show for a while. So I'm the third host of MAP. I should say I'm not an ethnomusicologist, and much of my show is actually derived from world music charts and also includes music from North America because I do find it fascinating to see what music produced here critics from other countries think is important. So Monday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Now, you were also the host of Roots for a long time, right? One of the Roots shows. Correct. I started at the station in 1990, started Roots in, I believe, the the fall of 1990. And what was your take on Roots when you did it? Well, I should should say that it was was interesting because the the, it was actually Chris Rewa who did a, I used to, I had a woodworking shop back then in Kennett Square and used to listen to WVUD religiously. And uh, Chris Rewa actually gave a shout out at one point and said that the Roots Block was looking for new DJs. And I called her up and said, I'm interested. What do, what do I have to do here? And I got, got uh, sidetracked by one thing or another and actually did not finish the training, but then ran into Susie Wallenberg in 1990, who was living up the street from me at the time. And she said, come, come on down and do the training, uh, which I did. And she took me under wing and was my mentor at the time. So that was 1990. And I still remember I guested with her for a few times as part of my training and I uh, still remember the the very first show I did, I was absolutely petrified. And Mark Ellis called me up and said, I know you're really nervous here, but eventually, you know, you have to talk. So that's, that's <laughs> still, that's still, that still makes me laugh. Um, so the Ellis's were tremendous supporters, too, at, at uh, that point. So Good. that's how I got involved in Roots. Musically, Roots, what, did you have a specialty or a, a, an area it, you covered? Or? It, the, the timing could not have been better because in 1990, the whole alt-country uh, genre was just getting off the ground. So uh, I was very fortunate because artists like Lucinda Williams were playing the cabarets, you know, which was a relatively small club. Sure. Um, Nico Case was doing bars at that point. So I, I saw some terrific musicians with you know, very small crowds. I grew up during the era of the whole country rock movement of the late 60s and 70s. You know, that was just a, a natural progression for me. Sure. Uh, bands, sure. Like, bands like Uncle Tupelo and uh, Whiskey Town, 
it was it was a lot of fun. And do you want to drop any names in world music uh, that you? I mean, are there any people you feature, or do you generally keep keep moving around? I try to move around. I'm probably more Afrocentric than I than I should be, but it's an area of the world that I'm very drawn to. So I tend to feature a lot of music from Africa these days. Tell us where you were bred and born. Uh, I was actually born in Augusta, Georgia. My my father was down at Fort Gordon for training. And after about six or eight months, they shipped him off to Korea and shipped me to Wilmington, Delaware <laughs> with my mom. And we lived at my, my grandparents' house for a while. Uh, I went through Falk Road Elementary and Springer and then did high school at Tower Hill and then off to St. Louis for Washington University and a comparative literature degree a year in England to finish up on a special project there, then back back to this area. Lived lived in Kennett Square during the 70s and 80s, and uh, and back there again. Good. And your day job is still woodworking, or yes, I'm a, a woodworker. I have a architectural turning business in Claymont, so I work uh, for cabinet makers and mills and antique dealers. Well, let's talk about music. How about uh, growing up? Do you have any really early memories of music? In my, from, from what I recollect, and my mother, when she hears this interview, is probably going to correct me, but I remember a lot of show tunes in the house, particularly Camelot with Richard Burton and Julie Andrews, mm-hmm. uh, South Pacific. Uh, I know there were some, some Sinatra albums in the, uh, the stereo console Right. Then. Right. Which was a piece of furniture that sat in the corner. That's what I was going to say. A piece of furniture. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, all albums, LPs. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's what I'm remembering. And was the radio played in your house, uh, music or or otherwise? Yeah, not a lot. No. Good. Did anybody play live music in your house? No, I played. Well, we all we all took we all took piano lessons. So that kept me going for a while, and then I took flute in high school. Good. Um, had a had a uh, flute ta- teacher then, who was very influential on music for me. She she dragged me all over the place, which which was terrific. Uh, we went to New York a lot, and she she uh, actually took me to John Cage's 60th birthday party, which which was <laughs> wow. which was a phenomenal concert and I actually got to go backstage afterwards and watch him unprepare a piano which was magical. I remember wow. I remember David Tudor was there and did one of the suites for Toy Piano. So I was all over the place mu- musically back then. And that was uh, high school or I was high I was high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was high school. I was fortunate in that I tuned into a University of Pennsylvania radio station by call letters of WXPN at that point, probably ninth ninth grade, and uh, that introduced me to just a world world of music. I know there were, you probably remember, there were a lot of clubs in the area back then. Grimslade at Emanuel Episcopal Church, and you could see bands like Martha Lidd, couple couple members of whom ended up in Scott Burney's Sin City Band mm-hmm. for a, for a while. Yeah, Grim Grimslade was was a real big one. 
I used to go to music a lot in Philadelphia. Irvine Auditorium had a lot of really terrific, terrific bands. You know, so I was up there for everything from Frank Zappa to Ravi Shankar to Fairport Convention. A lot of, lot of great material. Sure. A little bit of piano, a little bit of flute, but you didn't stick with either one of those. No, I wish I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's okay. That's, yeah, that's 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 a common My, thread here of this Jackie Confidential, <laughs> with the exception of Scott Bernie, I should say. Right, right. Yes. At the at the moment, I still pick pick up bagpipes occasionally. I'm trying to learn bagpipes. So, well, good luck. That's, yeah, thanks. I need it. Mm-hmm. First first album was probably a Monkeys album. I'm embarrassed to say, but, but but I was attracted to particularly the. Uh, Michael Nesmith country tinged element of of the monkeys and there's still there's still somewhat of a guilty pleasure I would I would have to say that tracks like um, what am I doing hanging around which he got from Michael Martin Murphy and brought to the band that they're, they're you know I think they still hold up yeah well they were well-produced records even the pop records are yeah were well done yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, and they had some great songwriters that were pull, pulled in to help. Sure, John, John Stewart and the and the like. So that was great. Sure. After after the Monkees, um, ninth grade, big big Hendrix fan. Um, in fact, the first concert that I went to was uh, Temple University, and I, I would have been uh, 14, 14 at the time. It was Temple University, May of 1970 and the lineup was Hendrix, Grateful Dead, Steve Miller Band and a band called Cactus who was rather obscure at the time. Oh sure, I remember them though. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I love those early bills. Oh, where, they're, they're you know. Yeah, for 6 $6 you got got to see four sure. incredible bands. Was that reflective of your tastes when you were in high school? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um actually through WXPN. I became a huge fan of not so, not so much the American folk revival, but the British folk revival. So they had a show on at the time called the Unicorn, which uh, Mike Dinsmore actually hosted at at one point, much much later. Mm-hmm. But uh, Michael had a hand in that. But but back in when I was in high school, British folk revival was a real passion of mine. So. Uh, bands like Pentangle and guitarists like Bert Yanch and John Renborn and uh, singers like Shirley Collins and bands that she put together like the Albion Country Band. So that was that was a passion Good. in high school. And act, and the when I first started the Root Show, I really gravitated a lot towards the Celtic side of the folk revival, uh, and gradually picked up other material, learn, learned about other music as time went on. You're listening to mainly, mainly to XBN, or are you listening to anything else in high school? No, it's all, all, oh. all XBN. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I mean, they, that, was, that was the days when they were, well, they had block format, uh, which, as I understand, was the influence for our programming here at WVUD. But no, I just, I, I, yeah. I, I used to love that radio station. Good. And that was prior to VUD taking air, air, of course. Sure. So you go to St. Louis. Right? I was a comparative literature major mm-hmm. in, in St. Louis, Washington University. And how about music out there? 
Yeah, there was a, a guitarist by the name of Bob Brosman who was a uh, national steel guitar player and introduced me to Hawaiian music, which I still still love to this day. And he actually used, there was, when I was in my apartment there, there was a bar at the end of the street that he used to sneak me into underage just to hear hear him play National Steel. Great. Unfortunately, he's no longer no longer alive, but uh, put out some wonderful records, which I would encourage anybody that's interested in National Steel and, and Hawaiian Steel to pick up and listen to. He was uh, one of the people that discovered Gabby Pahanui. Right. Um, little little before Ry Cooter did, although Gabby was a, a huge influence on Ry's music too. Slack key guitar. Slack key guitar, yeah. Right. And actually, speaking of slack key, I was very fortunate. I used to, used to live in Arden, and there was a woman there named Yvonne King, who is who was Hawaiian. She's she's unfortunately no longer with us either. But when I started getting interested in slack key guitar, I went to Yvonne and I said, I want to bring in some Hawaiian music to Arden. How many members of the Hawaiian community can you bring to the the, the, right. the venue here? And she said, I'll pack the place. So. Uh, and she was related to one of the legends of Hawaiian slack key, Dennis Kamakahi. Uh, so she she said, I'll call, I, forget, I think they were cousins. I think she said, I'll call Cousin Dennis. And they put together this Hawaiian luau for, for these Hawaiian musicians who were on to- tour through George Winston's Dancing Cat record label. George Winston is a huge Hawaiian slack key guitar, oh, really? guitar supporter. And he had a, actually founded a label called Dancing Cat Records, which was all Hawaiian slack key. So uh, on one of his tours, um, Dennis, I forget who else was on the bill. Uh, I had had George Kahumoko in a number of times, and Dennis, I think, was there. There was a band called Hui Aloha who, that I brought into town. So anyway, it was a lot, an awful lot of fun, and I learned a lot about Hawaiian culture and uh, met some great Hawaiian musicians. Did concert promotion for a number of years when I was in Arden. Right. We uh, should just say, just for the public, that the Arden Guild Hall is a great is a is a great venue as we and, speak today. It's it, still and great. still and still mm-hmm. they they still bring in some wonderful music. And if uh, our listeners aren't familiar with the Arden Guildhall, I would encourage them to attend any of their shows because they're all great. Right. It's a small, it's a relatively small Yeah, it's two, 250 to 300. And it was an old barn that was converted as the community center for the community of Arden, which is, if people don't, don't know, they should. It's Delaware's utopian experiment, which was founded in 1900 by... A Philadelphia sculptor and a Philadelphia architect. Uh, fasc- absolutely fascinating history, right? Uh, and something that I've been in, been very involved in. So yes, the Guildhall still still is there. They, the Arden Concert Guild still produces music. When I was involved, I also did a lot of Scandinavian music, which was a bit of an outgrowth of my interest in Celt- Celtic music, I think. And at that at that particular time, some really great. Scandinavian bands on the scene. Good. Uh, yeah. Let's let's go back out to St. Louis. Were there any other any other uh, musical in, influences? Or? I, I saw I saw shows out there. 
Bob Brosman actually was out there getting a ethnomusicology degree. And if, if I had known that th- kind of thing existed at that point, that's probably the direction I would have gone. Right. But you stuck with so, English lit. Yeah, comparative lit. Comparative lit, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I, I did get into St. Louis occasionally. Washington University is, is on the suburbs, out in the suburbs. Uh, there wasn't a lot going on in St. Louis at the time, musically, un- unfortunately. St. Louis in that era had been described as the fastest decaying city in the U.S. So um, it was a little, well, little, little on the rough side. You come back to Delaware after St. Louis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was in England for, for a year. Saw, you know, saw some of my my the heroes of musical heroes at that point right right like for instance from, from the from the british revival mm-hmm. uh, Bert, Bert Yanch, i saw a number of concerts of, of his there was a folk club just off off campus which brought who brought in which brought in people like june tabor who was uh, you know later later became quite influential uh, i saw the clash Oh, ooh. yeah, because they were start just getting <laughs> wow. Kind of st- you know, it was the beginning. It was the beginning of the punk revival. Seventy six, seventy seven. Punk revival, punk scene. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So, okay, uh, so that's- I wish I'd taken. I wish I'd taken more advantage of that. But in that, I had grown up listening to a lot of British folk artists. When I got to England, that was what what I went to see. You had to get your fill. I yeah, exactly. Right. Good. You grew up with these people. You do want to see them at some point. Uh huh. Sure. And any Irish music over there, or you you stayed in England, or I did quite a bit of traveling. Went went to Ireland uh, twice. Went went to France. You know, yes. Wherever I went, I was on the lookout for music. Some great traditional music in Ireland when I was there, of course. Mm-hmm. My travels. Good. And I guess you're buying records out there. We haven't talked about records too much. But, uh, <laughs> so you're still buying LPs. I mean, or I mean, during during those years. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So eventually, you come back to Delaware. Now I keep forcing the, the issue here. You come back whenever you feel like it. But when, <laughs> when did you, when did you come back to Delaware? Well, I came came back to Delaware uh, right after college. Um, had a woodworking apprenticeship. Lived in lived in a house with a bunch of friends from high school at that at that point, and then eventually moved moved into town. Um, town meaning Wilmington. Kennett, Kennett, Kennett. Kennett I'm sorry, Kennett Square. Okay, right. Had my little woodworking shop in the carriage house in back of the property, and had WVUD on the radio. Mm-hmm. And then we're back to because uh, you've already <laughs> told us how you got here. Well, tell us about some more shows you've seen. I mean, who else did you produce at the uh, at Arden, well, in, as far as far as as far as bands that I produced in in Arden, as I mentioned, a lot of lot of Scandinavian bands. I, I produced a show by a band called Triacle. Garmina was a was a favorite of mine. One of the the uh, bands that that people really seemed to enjoy at Arden was a band called Hovendroven, which is another Scandinavian band. Uh, they they they're still together. They don't don't tour nor nearly as much as they used to. So mm-hmm. I think between the Hawaiian slack guitar and the 
Scandinavia, and that was that was pretty much my contribution to the concert series yeah. back back then. Oh, very good. What are your favorite live performances that you've witnessed? You know, over the years, or anything special? Or? I, I I think some of the alternative country shows that I that I saw back when I first started with Roots were were really memorable. I mentioned I mentioned Lucinda Williams. I mean, she always put on a terrific show at the at the Chestnut Cabaret. The cabarets were r- really a great venue for for music back then and I, I remember a coco taylor show which was quite memorable one of right. the one of the more amusing shows and and a very good show that i went to back when i was doing roots was i used to work at that time with a concert promoter um, down outside of washington dc and he called me up at one point and said, I've got this band that I'm really excited about. They're from, from down this way. They're called the Dave Matthews Band. And wow. I'd like you to help me do some concert promotion. And I said, sure. And he sent me a, a cassette of their music. And I plugged the, the heck out of them before their show. I think they were at the Ambler Cabaret. And I plugged the heck out of them and uh, went to do a ticket giveaway and nobody called nobody responded <laughs> wow so i said i'm gonna i'm gonna you know these guys i love these guys i'm gonna go check them out myself so i went to the ambler cabaret and there were i think maybe a dozen people there for the show and helen light was there i remember she, she was sitting at the bar so i kind of sidled up to her and spent a good bit of the night talking to to Helen Light about music when she and she couldn't have been nicer and listening to Dave Matthews and they they were they were phenomenal. How about that? And after the concert, I went backstage and introduced myself and Dave could not have been nicer. He was a great great guy and wonderful concert. Wow! So that was that was fun. I mean, that was one of that's one of one of my radio stories, I guess, from those days. I remember going with Sheila at one of the cabarets to see Lyle Lovett and Katie Lang. Uh, on the same early, on early the same on, bill, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It was great. The, the, the cabarets did a good job of presenting the stuff, uh-huh. and I guess that's one of the great things about being a uh, college radio DJ is because that's that's the first line for promotion for a lot of these artists when they're up and coming, and we we tend to find out about that early on. I guess it's still that way. I don't know. It's it's. I don't want to get into the good old days here, but I mean. It's, I think it's still. Yeah, I, no, no. I wonder about promotion these days. I mean, uh, yeah, it's definitely changed. But I, th- I think a lot of a lot from what I find with Map of the World with world music is a lot of uh, these labels do reach out and and appreciate college radio. So back back to Roots. Mm-hmm. Um, after doing Roots for twenty maybe twenty three years, I decided that I needed needed new challenges and wanted to learn about a different, a whole different genre of music. And I had found that uh, I was gravitating more and more towards world music on my root show and uh, map of the world became available. Car- Carol at that, I think, I think Carol and Bill had switched off it. I think Bill may have been back on the radio at that point. And he decided that he'd had enough and Carol didn't, want to take the show back so i got got my entree there which which i was really delighted about 
I guess one of the things I would like to add about that is that's one of the, one of the real beauties of WVUD is that they give us the as DJs the freedom to do something like that. There was no station manager that said, "Mark, you know, you've been a roots DJ. Do you really know that much about world music?" It was just, you know, get yourself on there and do what you what you can. Right. Exactly. And there aren't too many radio stations left, I think, that offer DJs that kind of freedom, which is why all of us think that VUD is just such a gem. Sure. Because also that the way that happens, that something opens up and you say, oh, I can do that. I mean, it makes it very organic. It may, you know, the people that are hosting the shows are doing it because they love it. It hasn't been Precise, assigned to them. you know. Precisely. Yeah. yeah, and I think with with all of the DJs down here, you really see that kind of passion. It come comes out in the in the music that everybody plays. Sure, I guess you do kind of use your comparative lit uh, degree here now a, a little bit. I don't know what lits were what comparative literature were you, you were comparing European and English, or I mean, well, my fo- my focus was turn of the century uh, French and French English German pri- primarily the novel or. Uh, a lot of poetry. Poetry, okay. Yeah. So um, does it ever come it, back? Does it ever come back around in on your <laughs> world music program? No. Well, I'm actually trying. To, I'm back trying to learn French again. I did. I did uh, study French in high school and college, but but there were, there's a gap there. So I'm back trying trying to brush up on my French, which actually has has helped the show. And and I did take Irish Gaelic at one point, which helped with the celtic music there too oh. so well very good mark thanks a lot <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming down and thanks for having me on Jerry. sure really, sure really appreciate it it's it, a great great idea for a show and it's been fun listening myself and and learning a little more about our djs here at wvud than i had known before so thank you for putting this together oh well thanks thanks for the plug and uh thanks for being an interesting guest all right all right thanks yeah You've been listening to Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD. These shows are part of longer interviews I conducted over the past few years, so some of the times and dates mentioned are not current. I hope to have the complete interviews available as podcasts in the near future. Tune in next Monday at 8.30 a.m. for another edition of Disc Jockey Confidential.